Well, good morning, Boswell. Good morning. It is good to be back in the house. Amen. I see uh, traditions and uh, processes don't change. You guys are still delayed to come in from the lobby. You, you come to church halfway through the second song in worship, but it's good to be home. It's good to be amongst friends and family. Leanne and I are, are just so stoked that we get to spend it with you guys. If I haven't already met you, it's, uh, it's um, it be a time afterwards. I'd love to meet you if I haven't already done so, um, but it really is good to be uh, here with you guys in the house. Let's just, um, let's just pray and uh, give God some glory. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are who you say you are. We thank you that we are who you say we are. Father, that we don't have to listen to the voices of the world. We don't have to listen to the news broadcast. We don't have to listen to our Facebook feeds. We don't have to listen to our Instagram. We can listen to what you call us and what you've called us to be. And Father, we don't have to be anything else other than worshipers of you. Today we come to worship you. We come to honor you. We come to give you glory. And then we pray this now in Jesus' name. All of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Well, I, uh, we, we've been making some decisions since uh, we stepped off this pulpit. And we've taken almost a year to, uh, to make this decision. Believe it or not, we are roughly left Boswell almost six months ago, how time flies. Uh, I left uh, the, the location in the capable hands of uh, Pastor Micah, and while I was gone, you guys started the national pandemic, and uh, <laughs> I don't know what you guys have been up to, but um, uh, it's, it's been pretty crazy. But it's, um, it's been a blessing to just watch from a distance. It's been a blessing to see the growth. Um, Heather, Heather is growing more than most. Um, but it's just been a blessing to be able to see what's been going on around here and uh, see how, uh, how things have developed and grown. We are amazed by God every day, aren't we? And uh, it's awesome that it's, it's not up to us, that it's up to God to be able to do things and grow things and change things and change families and restore marriages and put things back together. And no matter what happens in the world, we have that truth to cling to. We have an ability to know that Jesus has come in every single one of our lives. Amen. We're not begging and pleading for Jesus to come again, right? Yeah. Because he's already come back for us. He's already redeemed us. He's already made us whole. He's already declared us all that we are to be. Are we longing for Jesus to come back for the whole world again? Yes, we are. But in our individual capacity, we don't have to long for the second coming of Jesus. The second coming for Jesus is for all of us, but we've all had our return, haven't we? It might blow your mind a bit, because everyone says, well, I'm waiting for Jesus to return. Well, he's coming in. Millions of times over, Jesus has returned. Millions of times over, Jesus has returned. Remember, after he died, he returned for Peter. He returned for the disciples. He returned for Thomas. He returned, and every single time he came back, he returned for the Apostle Paul. Hey, he returned for Pastor Micah. He returned for Pastor Craig. He returned and he returned and he returned. Every single time one of us says, we need Jesus in my life, he returns in a prophetic way for us individually as he will eventually return for his whole church. Come on, think about it. All of the things that he rectified in your life, all of the things that he changed 
for you individually. He's returning for his church and he's going to do exactly the same. He's not waiting for a perfect church to return. You weren't perfect when he returned for you. He's not waiting for this church to stand up and overthrow governments. And, and No, no, no. He's just wanting some people to worship Him in humility and stand before Him and go, Father, we can't do this on our own. We need You. Amen. Good enough for Jesus. You see, Jesus is not looking for any reason to condemn you. He's looking for any reason to save you. Yeah. I don't have to listen to this. Oh, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. You know what? The moment you say... I can't do this on my own. I need some help. That's good enough for Jesus. I don't need to say a sinner's prayer. I don't need to say this or do that or speak in tongues. I just need to humble myself and realize that I can't do it on my own steam. But you know what? It's true for us because that's a nice thing to say. It's true for us in our hearts to go, wow, that's cool. Jesus is looking for any reason to save me. But you know what? That next door neighbor of mine, she better get back to church. She better start praying. She better start reading her Bible. She better start doing it. And then Jesus can help her out. You see, here's the deal. They, they looking, Jesus is looking to save everybody. He's looking for any reason to step in everybody's life. And you don't get to judge who that everybody is. But we do. Oh, it's good for Jesus to love us full of grace. But you must love, we must love our next door neighbor full of judgment. <laughs> Ouch. So today I wanted to unpack this one of my favorite scriptures. It comes across like one of those gentle, comforting scriptures. But when you actually start to look at it, it throws down the gauntlet. Because as we prepare the way of the Lord... Think about that now. You were prepared by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus could return for you. Right? Now, Jesus has said, okay, once the individual has been prepared, once the individual has been received, once the individual has opened up their heart, once the Holy Spirit has guided that individual back to Jesus, they immediately become part of a collective called the church. You don't have to come to Victory Life Church to go to, to church. You, you, the minute you say yes to Jesus, you're part of the church. That's why we can say we can be the church from wherever we are in the world. We love that during COVID because we could be the church from wherever we are in the world. Am I making sense? The moment you say yes to Jesus, you're part of the church. Baptist, non-Baptist, Methodist, non-Methodist, it doesn't matter. If you say yes to Jesus, you're part of the church. The moment the Holy Spirit has moved you from being a sinner to being part of the church. Remember, we can be sinners in the church, right? Just because I've got Jesus doesn't mean to say I can stand in judgment and say I'm no longer a sinner, but that person is. There's plenty of sinners in the church. Jesus is not looking for your perfection. He's looking for your worship. So the Holy Spirit moves us from being sinners, lost, not part of this incredible movement called the church, and He places us in Jesus and Jesus in us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But Matthew 24 verse 14 says it doesn't end there. Because now the Holy Spirit's done His job on the inside of you and brought Jesus back onto the inside of you. It's now your job to bring Jesus back onto the inside of the world. The Holy Spirit's not going to be the one that preaches the gospel to all the world and then the end will come and Jesus will return. No, 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 that's you and me. I've got to prepare the world for Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit let us, everything in scriptures modeled. Jesus modeled how we live. The Holy Spirit models how we are to bring the world to Jesus by how he brought us to Jesus. He counseled them. He counseled us. He advised us. He let us feel the despair of not being with Jesus. He reminded us of who we were. He gave us hope. And all of a sudden, we attached all of those things to the name of Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus returned for us. Now we have to take that same model and say, well, if we're going to prepare the world to be able to identify Jesus, we've got to do the same thing. Not judge it, not preach it, not stand on our soapbox and tell everybody how good our church is. No, we've got to counsel them. We've got to love them. We've got to guide them. We've got to show them what they're missing. That's now our job. But as Christians, we get to this Holy Spirit moment of receiving Jesus and we go, hallelujah, I'm done. Praise Jesus. No, no. Now you've just started. Because you see in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3 to 5, when I said it was one of my favorite scriptures, some of you who knew me thought I was going to go to Romans 12, right? Oh, don't get me started. Maybe we should preach from Romans chapter 12. <laughs> Isaiah 40 says this. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Did that scripture say that the one who was coming to prepare the Lord was the Holy Spirit? No, that scripture actually refers to somebody that we know called John the Baptist. In fact, that prophetic word was spoken many, many, many years before John the Baptist came. And John the Baptist walked out the example of what Jesus was about to bring to the world, so much so that that scripture was linked to him. He saw that. He looked at that verse in Isaiah and he said, that's my job. He did it so well that a little bit later on in Luke chapter 3, verse 3 to 6, Luke actually quotes that about John the Baptist and knits John the Baptist to that scripture. But John the Baptist wasn't necessarily in mind when that scripture was written. It was a prophetic word about anybody who was willing to prepare the way of the Lord. But John the Baptist saw that call to prepare the world for Jesus so much that he adopted that scripture as his scripture. That's me. I am ready to prepare. The, I have received Jesus into my heart. Jesus leapt in the wound when he saw me. I know that I am John and I know that my job is now not just to wallow in the glory of salvation, but to get on with the preparation of the world for Jesus. Wow. Wow. And so that prophetic word was spoken about John many years before, but it was spoken about you many more years before. You see, we, we're not meant to be little Jesuses. Jesus is good enough. He doesn't need a whole lot of little pretend Jesuses running around. He needs a whole lot of John the Baptist running around. He's, he's okay on his own. Trust me. If he needed the world to know about Jesus... He could do incredible things. 
Just like the, the, the army officer said to him at the cross, hey, why don't you call down angels so that you can save yourself? Jesus realized that that would make a big spectacle, but it wouldn't prepare the hearts and the minds of people for the real Messiah. He needed you to do that. Ouch. So when we get saved, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. And when we look at that scripture, we see that John the Baptist had to ready the hearts and the minds of people so that as many as possible would receive Jesus. He had to prepare the way of the Lord. Have a look in verse 4 of, John, of Luke chapter 3. It says, Isaiah had spoken of John when he read, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then what will happen? And then the people will see the salvation sent from God. Between the word being declared, Jesus Christ, and the world seeing Jesus Christ, there's some work needing to be done in verse 5 that involves you and me. Yeah. Oh, John the Baptist did it. I've got my salvation. Woohoo! <laughs> I don't have to go into the desert. Says Leanne and Craig heading into central Texas. <laughs> I don't have to wear crazy sheepskin clothing and eat cockroaches and funny things with honey. I don't, I don't have to eat any of that stuff. John the Baptist did it. I got my salvation. Well, God's saying to you, hang on a second. Let's take the example of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ that happened back then. And let's explode that to what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back again for the world. And let's model it exactly the same. Let's do exactly what we did back then. Let's do it again when Jesus returns. So I'm going to have to have a whole lot of John the Baptist running around preparing the way of the Lord. Not preparing my heart to be saved. No, preparing the world to receive Jesus. Because let me tell you something. I don't want to see in my son's face or my son's friends' faces, the horror on their face when Jesus returns. I want to see in their faces that they know exactly who that is, they align themselves with him, and this is going to be a success, not a destruction. I don't want to sit there and look at my friends and my family going, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you prepare? Why didn't you knock on my door harder? Why didn't you shout a little louder? Why didn't you scream a little harder at me? Because now, I'm not bending my knee in humility. I'm bending the knee in judgment. And so Jesus is saying to us today that I agree with your sentiment. The world needs me. Jesus is saying the world needs me. We say, we look at situations, we look at the Democratic Party, we look at the Republican Party, we look at Black Lives Matter, we look at looting and rioting, and we go, the world needs Jesus. No, the world needs you to start preparing the way of the Lord. People don't know what you know about Jesus, otherwise they wouldn't be behaving like they're behaving. And so when we look at that scripture, we have now been called to prepare, to ready, to help others understand, to focus minds on the possibility, to be ready to receive, to teach people what to expect. But we don't even know what to expect. 
What is Jesus bringing back to the world that they need so desperately? Jesus, you need, the world needs you. What about Jesus does the world need? Because according to the world, they don't need Jesus. They got it. They, they got it. They know what they're doing. They're making the right judgment calls. They're making the right abortion laws. They're making the right sexuality laws. They're making the right marriage laws. They're making all the right laws. Why do we need Jesus? When we make the statement that the world needs Jesus, we better know what of Jesus the world needs. Because we need to be displaying what the world needs of Jesus in our own lives. Not just Jesus, that's calling me Christian. Oh, I believe in Jesus. Hallelujah, that's fantastic. What about Jesus does the world need? Because when we can answer that question, we can start displaying those qualities because the world, if they genuinely need those qualities, will start asking questions about those qualities and we will have an opportunity to, to prepare the way of the Lord. Amen. But we're so busy running around saying, I go to Victory Life Church, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, we don't know what the world needs. I watched someone the other day give a 35-minute testimony to a seven-year-old kid. That kid didn't need 35 minutes of lecture. What did that kid need about Jesus right there? Share that with him. Don't assume that your story and your name and what you are is what the world needs. Trust me. The world sees you and the church. They don't think of love and grace. They think of judgment. They think of hypocrisy. They think of money laundering. They think of fraud. Is that what the world needs? No. The world needs to see what you know about Jesus on the inside. You need to start displaying what Jesus is going to bring the world so that the world can get ready for Jesus to come back. Yeah. It's not about preaching. It's not about having 25,000 followers on your Facebook page. It's not about how many people are praying with you. Trust me, look to the person to your neck, left and right, just look at them. You don't have to say anything, just look at them. They believe in Jesus already. Stop telling them about it. They don't need to know what incredible power Jesus has. They've already got it on the inside of them. There's some other people that you can look to your left and your right when you go home that don't know what Jesus is that you need to start displaying it to. Am I making sense? So, if we have a look at that Luke chapter 3 section of Scripture... We see in verse 4 the call, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And we've already ascertained that that's not shouting out saying, oh, the Lord needs Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. No, no, there must be more to it. Because if we jump to verse 6, it shows us the results. Have a look at verse 6. It says, And then all people will what? See. Not feel. Not think. They will see. Oh, that person's such a good person. Why? I don't know. They just make me feel good. No, no, no. They're going to evidently see Jesus in you. Like, like it's going to hit them between the eyes. That means all your rough edges better start getting smoothed out. 
Because if they see your abuse before they see Jesus, there's a problem. If they see your addiction before they see Jesus, there's a problem. You can't prepare the way for Jesus while you're shackled to the world. And that's our journey. We openly and humbly admit that we're not perfect, that we point towards Jesus in helping us become unshackled from the world. I've got issues. Deanne's the only perfect one here today. I've got issues. I've got problems. I've got concerns. I've got thoughts that I shouldn't have. But I'm working with Jesus to become unshackled with them, not pointing out the shacklings of others in judgment to defend my shackling. And when we have a look at this Luke chapter 3, it says, okay, cool. That's the call. Prepare the way of the Lord. And then number verse 6 says, what will happen when we do it, all people will see. Verse 5 gives us what we need to display. Verse 5 says, starts off with this. The valleys will be filled. What does that mean? Well, we know in our own self, number one, that Jesus restores value to the human soul. Didn't he do that for you? Didn't he restore value back to you? He took all of those lowly places, those things you weren't good at, those things you were hurt with, those down-in-the-dump valley issues, and he brought them up. The valleys will be filled. I'm not talking about humility. I'm talking about woe is me thinking. Who had some woe is me thinking before Jesus? It was only me. Still do. His job is to fill up those low points in your life. Not give you the right to demand from those low points, like the world does. I don't have, you must give. I don't have, you must provide. We've never had, we are undermined, we are small, we are little, we are in the valley. You need to do something about it. Now. That's not humility. That's false humility. That creates a demand mentality, which creates an entitlement, which inhibits the world from seeing Jesus. Yeah. He shouldn't be behaving like that. They shouldn't be doing this. Did you see what so-and-so said for three seconds of a 45-minute speech? And we take this little clip on Facebook, one little clip, and we put it up there and we say, evil! And all the world sees is our false humility, our small man and woman syndrome crying out, making ourselves try to look better and bigger. I had the spiritual thought to change the whole congregation's direction. <laughs> Hallelujah. And everyone goes, what? You see, Jesus restores value to the human soul through lifting up your low places. And when you allow Jesus to lift up your low places, that's when you're walking in a humility that doesn't disable you, but enables Jesus to be made present. Humility that says, I can't, but Jesus in me, we can, is enabling. But this false sense of humility, I'm low, I'm woe, I am, I'm in, the, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in minority, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. Well, you know what? Jesus has lifted you up from being that. 
demand, rioting, looting comes from a place of camping in the valley and not bending the knee to Jesus lifting up my true worth. Scripture tells me that the Bible, that Jesus does not see the color of your skin to give you value. And so when we have a look at the scripture, when it comes to allowing Jesus to lift us up, instead of trying to lift ourselves up, he restores value to the human soul. When it comes to Jesus restoring value to your human soul, what are you displaying? What are you telling the world in preparation for what Jesus will do to them? When he returns for them? Well, what are you displaying? Are you displaying that you have value? Or are you trying to find value in 110 other different places? What are you displaying when it comes to Jesus restoring value to the human soul? The scripture then continues and it says, And mountains and hills will be made level. The first part speaks about lack of humility, the low points in our lives. The second part of that scripture says Jesus will level out the high places. Pride. Jesus will restore the balance of authority again. And doesn't this world need some authority balance? But then we need to display that there's authority balance in our lives. We need to be tolerating God's word, not the word of Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg is not the new Messiah. And neither is your opinion that you've posted on every single person's timeline 300 times. They didn't hear me. Those democratic liberals. You're picking up your own authority in judgment of anybody. The minute you pass judgment on somebody, you are putting your authority above God's and you're not displaying the fact that Jesus has restored the balance of authority. Jesus came to teach us when he came to the earth what we have authority over and what God has authority over. Leave the authority to God in the places that he needs to maintain authority. We are taking authority in places that we have no jurisdiction to take. It is not my authority to define who is less or who is more in this life based on what they feel or what their opinion is. It's not my authority to write somebody off because they have an opinion that's against mine. It's not my authority to judge somebody based on the color of their skin. It's not my authority to take the life of an innocent baby in the womb. It's not my authority to define what gender I am. It's not my authority to tell somebody how their marriage should be run or who they should marry. That is God's authority. Leave it with Him. It's not my authority to begin having sexual relations before somebody is called my wife or my husband. That is a godly thing. Leave it with Him. It's not my authority to define who I love. It's God's authority to tell me that I should love my enemies. I get to listen. 
It is my authority to tell Satan to get off the bus when he's attacking me. It is my authority to declare that which is ailed healed. It is my authority to declare that which is diminishing in plenty. It is my authority to take control over my finances. It is my authority to do the very best I can as a parent. It is my authority to love my wife as Christ loved the congregation. That's in my authority. But the world says, whatever you feel today is what takes authority. Yeah. What are you displaying when it comes to the balance of true authority in your life? Are you displaying to the world the kingdom that's coming or the kingdom of yourself? Matthew chapter 8 and verse 5 is a story about a guy that was in authority that restored authority for Jesus and restored the understanding of authority for people. So much so that Jesus even said, when you understand authority, the balance of authority, you will display great faith. When this centurion walks up to Jesus and says, hey, I understand authority. I don't have any authority unless I'm under authority. He says that to Jesus. And he says, spiritually, it's the same. You have authority because you're under the authority of the Father. And Jesus looks at him and says, because you understand the balance of divine authority in your life, you have great faith. No greater faith have I seen, says Jesus, than in this man. Wow. Why? Because he understood the balance of authority. When Jesus says something, even though we can't see it, but we put it as authority over how we feel, that's faith. Jesus restores the balance of true authority. The world, though, will have you behave however you feel in the moment. I can break laws. I can steal television sets. I can loot and I can burn down because I have a right. It's my authority. I can murder somebody of another color skin. I can do whatever I like because it's my right. I am a person of authority. The Ten Commandments pretty much clearly define who's in charge around here. And you know what? My authority, it's weak, it's pathetic, and it's flawed. Unless it is under the authority of the Most High God. This argument of authority, this argument of who's wrong and who's right, this argument of Eve and Adam, this, this liberal and, and, and whatever argument, this argument of authority, all came about when man was at his weakest, at the fall. And yet we have taken mankind's weakest moment and made it our modus operandi. Think about it. We have taken Adam and Eve's moment of disaster and we've formed an entire human society around, oh, you, you can be like God. You can, you can, you can make your own. You don't have to. No, you, you, you have authority. We've even taken the authority word and we pushed it even further and called them human rights. How many of you know that many human rights are actually human wrongs? Because they lack the humility in submitting to the authority of God. What do you display when it comes to your authority? This next part of the scripture says this, the curves will be straightened. Man, 
Jesus simplifies things with truth. Hasn't he done that in your life? How many excuses and dodgeballs did you have in your life? Well, I drink because it kind of makes me feel better. And you know, a hard day's work and all. Come home, kick back. Have a crate and a case and two bottles of wine. And I feel much better about myself. I have a right to do that, you know. I pay the bills around here. Oh, well, you know, I just do it because it takes the edge off. A little bit. I was hoping to drive out here today and see so much development in this area, and I must admit I was very impressed to see how much eco-development has been going on along this road. These little green buildings that are popping up everywhere. It's nice to see that we're eco-friendly around here. But I have a right, you know, I'm in pain. My doctor says it's okay. Who gives him the authority? For you to put something in your mind, in your body, that changes your mind from the mind of Christ to the mind of self. Who gives him the authority? To give you a drug that removes the mind of Christ from your body. Well, he's a medical doctor. He knows better. No, he does not know better. He can help. He can aid the journey of healing in your body. He can provide good medication, one that you've researched and taken before the Lord. He can do all of those things. It doesn't have to be a miracle for you to feel the healing power of God. You can go to a doctor. Trust me. Heather is going to have some drugs when she gives birth to that baby. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> but it's not ones that cause her to lose her mind are focused on Jesus. You want to put some of that stuff in my body? You no longer have authority to be my doctor. Because you see, doctors are just agreeing with what you ask them to do anyway. And so, when Jesus straightens the curves, he simplifies things. He removes confusion. The human society comes up with theories and opinions and constructs and hypotheses, all to confuse the simplicity of a life with Jesus. Trust me, if everybody would just read the book of Mark, we wouldn't have rioting in the streets. We wouldn't have judgment. We wouldn't have political confusion. If everybody just submitted their lives to the gospel, even Mahatma Gandhi said that if everybody lives their lives according to the Sermon on the Mount, the world would be a better place. Because there's no confusion. When a divine law drops in, thou shalt not murder, there's no confusion. Oh, but hang on. If this happens and if then I'm just a... You just take an authority back. I don't do anything to kill another human being. It's not my right. The only time Scripture gives me right to kill somebody is very clearly defined in Scripture. It's very clearly defined. Remember, the Israelites were attacking other people and causing death at the time, not because they were fighting for some political gain or an oil price hike or a dollar issue. No, they were fighting for the truth of God spreading across the whole wide world. Their wars were very different to the ones that we claim are okay today. They were pushing back satanic people that sacrificed their babies. Hmm. 
that, that, that did crazy, worshipped crazy gods, sold out to anything but the one true God, that had their own laws and regulations governing how they would conduct themselves, that there was sexual depravity running amok. Hmm. I'm not talking about California. But there was definite laws back then that can be applied today, not used to justify your behavior today. And that's what we do. We take situations out of context in Scripture to make confusion around our uh, situation. You know what? If it's taking your mind off Jesus, stop it. If it's taking you away from behavior that Jesus would accept, stop it. It's simple. Yeah, but you know what? No, no, no. The moment you have to put an excuse in there, you're stopping and preventing Jesus from simplifying your life with truth. If you're living together, get married. If, you, if, if, if you've got issues, seek counsel with Pastor Micah. Rather get it back to the simplification of Jesus' truth in your life They'd be making, oh, but you know, Craig, I've got to get to know this person a bit better. I've got to... You seem to be good enough to be as intimate as you want to be with that person right now. How much more do you want to know them before you allow Jesus to start really knowing you? Get with the program. Jesus' laws simplify your life. And then finally, it says in that scripture, and the rough places will be made smooth. Jesus brings grace. Jesus brings grace. This wrong and right argument was on a tree where mankind fell. Wrong and right is a vertical, sorry, is a horizontal tug of war. Left and right, political, it's a horizontal tug of war. We're not interested in horizontal tug of wars. I'm interested in the vertical relationship. Amen. And it's because of Jesus' grace that I can have that vertical relationship. Grace is the most effective thing that politicians can use today to come around things like disunity and racism and, and those kinds of issues. It's more effective at creating unity, understanding, and displaying divine love than any kind of political policy you could ever hope to have. Grace. I don't necessarily have to agree with somebody that isn't aligned with Jesus. And living a life that I would assume they would be living if they were aligned to Jesus. But I will not judge them. Because then I am just as much of a dirty, rotten scoundrel as anybody else. Why? Because I've broken a law of the Bible. The Bible tells me quite categorically on seven occasions that God is the only one who can judge the condition of somebody's heart. Don't you dare get into the game of judging somebody else's heart because then you're taking authority in a place that only God has authority. Yeah. Oh, but they, they're, they're black. Oh, but they're white. Oh, but they're this. Oh, but they're that. You've given me a whole bunch of confusing excuses to make your stance justifiable. You haven't prepared the way of the Lord. And so... With this grace, we even give in, we can tell people that grace gives us the ability to journey over difficult times. Grace gives us the ability to go through difficult times of disunity and disruption, and it gives us the ability to go on anyway. 
We've got that personal testimony, don't we? When it comes to that grace, what do you display? What does your last Facebook post tell us about God's grace in your life? What do you display? You see, there were, there were ten virgins that gathered around a place in, in Matthew chapter 25 tells the story of ten virgins that gathered around preparing the way for the bridegroom. And some of their lamps went out and some of them had extra oil. Remember the story? And, and I can preach for days on that, but, but when it comes to that story of the virgins, the virgins that had oil realized that they were the ones that would help the display. They were the ones with burning bright lamps that as people walked past the street, they would look up that street and go, a bridegroom's coming. The ones without oil, they were just left in the dark. People couldn't even see them. Or they were there, they were at the right place, they were at the foot of Jesus. They were called Christians, they were going to church, but they weren't evidently displaying to others in darkness where the light was going to come from. Those five virgins had their oil ready on display, ready to burn as long as it took, through whatever challenges it took, to sell whatever it took to get more oil. Whatever it takes, I will display the way that the bridegroom is coming. I will light up that road. I will shine brightly. The fact that God is a God full of grace, that Jesus has brought grace into my life that covers every single situation, that he has simplified my life with truth, that he has restored the balance of authority, and that he has given me back my human value. I will burn my torch brightly, and I will never let it go out for any reason or excuse, any situation or any bank balance. My torch will burn through the way that Jesus will appear. He's not coming back to build a city. He's not coming back to improve your internet or give you better Netflix download speeds. He's coming back to restore the balance of authority. He's coming back to give people grace. He's coming back to restore the value of human society. He's coming back because he wants everybody and anybody that will believe in him to see the truth. That is your job. You are the preparation that this world needs. Not some South African preacher or some crazy evangelist. You are the preparation that this world needs. You are the oil that will anoint the brokenhearted. You are the salt that will preserve the truth. You are the light that will push back darkness. You are the hope that creates purpose. And you are the story that will give others direction. You. You know what's incredible about our almighty God? He's patiently waiting on you to realize that. There's people in your life right now that need some preparation before they will be able to see Jesus. They need to see him in you before they can get a glimpse of the bridegroom. They need to see you standing brightly with a torch of grace, a torch of truth, this incredible torch of value. This, this wonder of the torch that he's given us of grace and wonder and imagination. He needs to see you standing with that torch, brightly letting it glow. 
And even though they can't see the bridegroom, they know who's coming. Because they see you shining brighter. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have restored in us personally. That you haven't just given us these things personally. You haven't just given us back our value. You haven't just given us back our sense of authority. You haven't just given us back this truth and this grace for our own consumption. No, you've given it back to us as an oil that will burn for others. Father, thank you for putting all of that on the inside of us. And Father, thank you for calling us to prepare the way of the Lord so that the whole world will see from whence the salvation comes. Thank you that my mother-in-law that doesn't believe in you or my father-in-law that doesn't believe in you or my uncle that doesn't believe in you or my sister-in-law or my sister that doesn't believe in you. Thank you that you have given me the oil to burn brightly in their lives and show you off even though I feel embarrassed, even though I feel reserved, even though sometimes I just don't want to talk to them about you. Father, thank you that I don't have to talk. Thank you that I just have to display so that they can see your grace, your authority, your truth, your value in me. Father, we receive the man today. John the Baptist. In the tough places, we will go to prepare the way for you, Jesus. This world doesn't only need our testimony, it needs the blood of the Lamb too. And so, Jesus, we thank you for reminding us today that we indeed preparation. In Jesus' name.